I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast today Professor Yanir Baryam. He is president of the New England Complex Systems Institute, and he helps direct the ncoronavirus.org, a multidisciplinary effort to eliminate COVID-19. Welcome, Professor. Thank you for having me. Uh, Professor, you wrote recently about the successful and unsuccessful mitigation efforts around the globe. Um, we all know that it didn't have to be this way in the United States if there had been a more disciplined and intensive mitigation and acknowledgement of, of what a pandemic means for society. Can you tell us what Australia did right that we did wrong? So the main thing is, first of all, to realize that we have the ability or the choice, it's really a choice, whether we kind of sit back and let the virus do damage or whether we go after it and, and uh, defeat it aggressively. It's, uh, it, you know, there are people who are, um, you know, if you go to experts, there's an expert that treats wounds and there's an expert that will, I don't know, grab a snake and, and uh, defeat it. Right. So, so the, the strategy here is whether you, um, is whether you choose to go after it or you wait for it to uh, do damage to you. So um, the, the way this, um, this shows up is that the societies of the countries, including Australia, that, that, um, that did much better were proactive. They had a goal. The goal was to defeat the virus. And defeating the virus means getting to an elimination situation or very close to elimination and to, um, to do as much as possible. Um, so the, a lot of the West, right, including the United States, was about mitigation. Let's slow it down. Let's take the wounds and, 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 and heal them, I guess, as much as possible um, versus, you know, the goal of elimination of stopping transmission. That's the really most important thing, because once you set your sight on the goal of stopping it, then that's what dictates how you act. Um, so that's sort of the most, that's definitely the most important piece. So you're saying mitigation versus eradication or elimination. And it's clear from the outset, we were ill-prepared in the United States to eliminate or eradicate this, um, you know, the, the initial movement of those who were ill abroad, who were returning to the United States, we recall the, the, the sealed airplanes that were returning Americans who, who had been stranded at sea, you know, the, there were a few weeks in which there were signs that we were, we were trying to prevent transmission on this continent in this country. But but at a certain point, the dam broke. When did the dam break? So the, the problem with talking about that is that when you have an exponential growth, it always looks tiny until it looks overwhelming. So there's always this long period where everyone says, well, things are okay. It's not a real problem. Um, it's not so bad. But what, the problem is that you have to anticipate that it's going to get bad. It's... You know, the, the damage that's being done early on doesn't look so bad. 
But what you have to do is anticipate. You have to say, in in four weeks from now, it's going to be worse, and then it's going to be even worse. And 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 waiting until th- there is this problem with waiting. So if you wait until you're clobbered over the head, then you're clobbered over the head. If you realize that it's coming, and for that you have to um, uh, understand that it can be bad. That you know the fact that 10 million people are locked down in China, or that South Korea is responding very aggressively, it, it, it cannot mean that they're doing this just for no reason. And and we waited. We waited until we saw that it was already doing damage here, which became untenable before we took strong action. So the, again, the key thing is to decide that it is worth stopping. And second of all, to realize that you can't wait. If you the, the best time to go after it is when it's tiny. Right. So in right, New Zealand, in New Zealand, the um, there was the same debate in the government about you know say okay so they said you know hey it's not so bad yet as things get worse we'll ramp up what we're doing and then there was one person a public health expert who was very highly regarded who said, let's turn it around the other way. Let's do the strong action first. And then we can relax the restrictions afterwards. And that's why New Zealand uh, was successful. And um, the other countries, just to, to go back in terms of the fact that we weren't prepared, it really is worth remembering that in the Far East, there was SARS. It did get to Canada, uh, but there was only, you know, only a few cases in Canada, comparatively speaking, to the outbreak. And, and when that happened, people said, oh, no, this is going to happen again if we're not careful. And they prepared for it. So that was the preparation. But the United States also had a pandemic preparation. But there's always this, this point of decision. Right, because you have to make a decision. Because going all out is costly, right? You shut down flights. You, um, you know, in, in, you know, once it gets into the country, it's very clear that you need the strongest possible lockdown. You have to, you know, put people into quarantines. It's a super disruptive thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do. That should be understood. But the point in, in, in the case is the decision point, you have to make a decision about how you're going to deal with it. There is no, you know, let's do it halfway. Halfway is a decision. So if you try to compromise, you end up in the decision of letting it go rather than in the decision of, uh, of stopping. I think many Americans uh, and their families have, have learned about the inadequacy. And like you said, the lack of courage and boldness um, of our federal government and in, in the case of many states, likewise. But Australia seems to disprove the notion that a country as big and diverse as the United States would have been incapable of not going halfway and doing a serious response that prevents the kind of transmission and fatality that we've seen here. 
Yeah, there's a lot of focus in the United States, as in many other places, on, on controversy. And so, you know, we listen to all kinds of people saying all kinds of things because, you know, that's somehow attracting attention. But more specifically, we focus on the social conflict that we're having and the fact that there are different approaches to what we should be doing in politics or in, you know, lifestyles or so on and so on, because that's what we care about a lot of the time. Um, but in a pandemic, that turns out not to be what's important. What's important is that the vast majority of people will take responsibility. And if people tell them the right thing, if they communicate clearly, people will take responsibility. And, and I've seen this because I've worked in Africa and it's, and you know, in, in the West, in, in, Western Africa in the Ebola outbreak, there was a lot of, you know, conflict. There, there are tribes that are fighting each other. Uh, I was working in Congo. There were, there's conflict, internally conflict. And in many places, there's, there's always something going on where people are not agreeing with each other and, 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 and might have um, reasons to dispute. And, and there's this tendency to blame the other one. Hey, it's their fault. They're the ones who are not doing it. But the truth is, time and time again, what we see is that most people care about taking care of not only their health, but the health of their loved ones. And, and that means that they're going to do the right thing. I, I think you're spot on with respect to the controversy. And some of that has to do with the persona of the United States and this idea of rugged individualism, and we're not going to let anything get us down. And it's not clear that in any environment, even if you had had a rigid national mask mandate in which there is freedom of expression and free movement, unlike in China, even had there been a President Clinton or a President Biden at the time that this emerged, it's not clear that the kind of philosophical uh, activation uh, if you want to call it rugged individualism um, or freedom at the expense of the scientifically sound policy would have been any different. But my question to you remains, had the United States taken the steps that Australia did at, at, at scale, a large country, um, whether you're talking about Australia or larger than New Zealand countries like um, Korea, South Korea, um, Vietnam, Vietnam, th yeah. those countries, despite their populace, the size of their population are capable of much stronger responses than not just the United States, but European countries too. I, I just want to emphasize and, and make sure I understand you correctly that the U S and European countries, which have largely failed in preventing transmission, despite their size could have, could have done better. Could, they could have done better. So it's, I want to unpack what you said a little bit. Um, because there were several things that you said. One is about, you know, freedom of expression. And I don't think we are understanding well enough that the vast majority of people in the United States, and this has been done by polls, and I can give you references 
um, nationwide, people are willing to take the strong action. And they're willing to do it now. Um, and, 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 and that's super important because it's even true today that it can be done, not just that it could have been done. And the, and the reason that that's true and the reason that that's important is that while people have called for help, you know, the vaccine is on the way, it's still going to take, even in the most optimistic scenarios, six to 12 months before we have defeated the virus by vaccination. And I, and for the people who know, they say it's more like 12 months than it is like six months, even with all of the aggressive 100 vaccines in 100 days. And the United States is a big country, but it's a big country that has states in it. And each state has been doing things independently somewhat. And even one state could decide to take strong action. And that's super important. So Australia, as an example, not only did it, but it was really done by each state. And when there was an outbreak in Victoria, the other states were COVID-free. You can separate the states, at least somewhat. You know, there are boundary areas where people are dependent upon each, you know, across the boundary. But that can be dealt with. And it was dealt with in Australia. So the point is that it's not just that we could have done something. But really, it's about a choice that is being exercised by families to take precaution, by communities, by states, and by the country as a whole. Is there a vaster and more intransigent anti-science, anti-intellectual climate in the United States than there is in Australia? I think that that's kind of what I was saying. It's there may be people who are, um, you know, I mean, it, it, you, there's a lot of um, conspiracy theories that are going on. But there was also in Africa. There's a lot of um, denialism. But there was also in Africa, in Ebola. Uh, the point is that you know, when it happened in Africa, everyone said, oh, that's in Africa. And, you know, they're having trouble doing this. So it's, it's there. But in the, in the coronavirus outbreak, Africa did much better than the United States. But I don't see that as because of what the people were doing. It is, it is a choice that we have to recognize as a group. And the group is, it has to be driven either by local leaders grassroots leaders. I mean, as an example, there was a village in Italy in the first outbreak part of the coronavirus. People call it the first wave. That they decided as a community that they were going to stop the outbreak, and they did. The problem is this passivity. It's the absence of realizing that one has a choice, that, that one's decisions matter for one's own safety and for the safety of one's loved ones and for one's community. That's the most important question. 
do we choose to act? And choosing to act is very different from what the action is that we do. So you have pointed to the idea that people might choose to, you know, uh, quote, exercise freedom rather than uh, going according to restrictions. But it's, the, for me, the question is different. For me, the question is, you know, in, in a movie, in a book, there's always this moment where the hero implicitly or explicitly has a choice to make where they can go for it or they can just sit back passively. And, and in, in the U.S. and in other countries, there is a culture of going for it, of taking that challenge and responding to it. And it's that choice that the United States has not yet made, I think, because of the issues that you're raising, but I really think because people didn't realize that they had a choice. Right, exactly. In a pandemic, you don't have a choice. And, you know, if people had viscerally, emotionally felt what they felt at ground zero, 24 hours after 9-11, we would have been in a different universe. But unfortunately, there was no way to convey uh, and to impart that um, either incrementally in, in or immediately. Uh, and it's and Tom Frieden, when he joined me on the podcast a few months ago, before President-elect Biden had won the election, he, he said he thought it would be very hard to reset the kind of mentality that was normalized, which is, you know, it's, 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 the, it's the pandemic, stupid, but we're not going to arm ourselves in, in the way that you're describing uh, with, with the decisive and courageous decision-making. So the question is, do, can we reset? Yes. We can reset. And there are multiple ways to reset in terms of the mentality. It could be done at the state level. It can be done at the federal level. Surely a change of administration is an opportunity to reset. But the main thing is that people have to realize that we can follow the example at any time if we choose the example that was followed in Australia. We can do what they did. It's harder. The longer you wait, the harder it is, no doubt. But that difficulty, that difference in difficulty is not what is the determining factor. The determining factor continues to be to, to, to meet the challenge, to make the decision that we are going to do it. We're going to go for it. And, and it's, it's hard. I, I, I'm not going to say it's not hard. It's, it's a challenge. But it's surely not a challenge that we can't meet. If rich countries and poor countries, large countries, small countries, people talk about island countries, but there are mainland countries that have done it, and Australia has multiple states, and each of the states was successful in their domain even sometimes when there were other outbreaks in other states, um, and the state that had the biggest outbreak in Victoria had the hardest job, and they were successful too. It can be done. So tell me how it can be done, um, because even in Korea and Japan in recent weeks, they've faced small 
uh, increases uh, what, what you can't really call a resurgence compared to the waves of Europe and, and the United States. So you're advising President, now President Biden, about how we can reset, independent of the vaccine. What do you suggest? You have to take the strong action first. And I know everyone's reluctant to do this. But you have to, there is no uh, other successful path. People call it, you know, stay-at-home orders. They call it all kinds of things. Much of the U.S. is already in what is called a lockdown, but it's really a soft lockdown. You have to go all out. This is not a, you know, I'll do it a little bit kind of problem. You have to go all out. The advantage that we ha- that, that is available is to go all out and then to realize that the critical part is not the closing down, but is the opening up part. And getting that right is what matters. And what we've been doing is we've been trying to mitigate, do it, you know, sort of, you know, we'll do a little bit more when it gets a little bit worse and so on. That's what we talked about before. But what you really have to do is realize that locally, if you go all out, you can get to places where you don't have the disease anymore. And those are the places you want to open up. You don't want to open up first restaurants and then this and then that, not sectors. You want to open up areas, areas that can protect themselves from re-importing the disease, just like it was done in Australia. You can even do it within cities. That was done within Australia, in Melbourne. You, You can separate neighborhoods or whatever. But the point is that once you start opening up, you protect the areas that are without the disease. We call them green zones. And then you basically roll out green zone after green zone and very quickly. And this is what's so amazing. It only actually takes a few weeks to clear the whole area. Because if you're going all out, the number of new cases per day goes down exponentially. It can even go down faster than it's gone up exponentially. And that means that in a period of this is the typical number you think about four to six weeks, you've crushed the virus. And then once it's down to low values, you focus on opening up the areas that are without the disease. Slowly, carefully, another few weeks is really all right. Um, and then you it's like a ratchet, right? You, you protect the areas that are safe and you roll it out across the country. And that's what works. Or over the state or over the region of states, whatever it is where people are willing to do this and are willing to take the strong action. All it takes is one rogue, non-compliant governor and air travel uh, to to resume uh, re-importing the virus everywhere, right? So, No, no, that's actually not not the scenario. So we have had reintroductions in New Zealand, in Australia, multiple ones actually. But most of them are stopped just by contact tracing. Because if you have one or two cases, you can stop it by contact tracing. And then if you have a few more cases, then you need a short time localized action. And that's what happened in New Zealand for uh, 18 days or something like that. 
but it's firefighting. It's like you, you don't live in a burning building just because in the future there might be another fire. You put out the fire, and then if there's another fire that comes up, you can, you can stop it too. I understand what you're saying, and I hope that our listeners can be aspirational in envisioning a United States that works more coherently. But that's the point. 50 states has been incoherent, and even with President Biden – in order to prevent reimporting the virus, there, what you're saying about going all out, that would require, I think, responsibly, new shutdowns of particular trans- public transportation modes. Um, so again, the the challenge is not quite the way you're describing it, right? It's it's about getting down to the point where you understand where transmission is and where your transmission risks are. And you focus on stopping those. And, um, you know, I think there's a tremendous defeatism, right? You know, there might be this situation where we won't be able to be successful and that will undermine everything, but it is really worth knowing that the worst that can happen in this kind of situation, if you fail, you're still much better off than you would have been had you not done this. There is no comparison to the level of, of situation where we are now, where our backs are against the wall, the hospitals are overflowing, and we're anyway locked down. We're paying the economic price. We've been paying the economic price for 10 months. And we didn't have to do that. So even if we are not successful at stopping the outbreak or stopping another, you know, conflagration somewhere, um, it's still going to be much, much better than the situation that we're in now. Let me ask you about models of contact tracing and how we can try to prevent on a regional basis the reimportation of the virus. So you've talked about the Australia model and New Zealand too, but elsewhere in Asia, there has been success. Um, as we think about not just improving the American response, but also Europe, which has struggled, uh, are there models outside of Australia that you would suggest we look at? The main thing that we've learned from the 10 months of the outbreak is that there isn't any other strategy to the one that was used in Australia that works. The Australian strategy is the same strategy that was used in New Zealand and in, and in uh, Taiwan and in um, uh, Vietnam and in Singapore and in China. It starts from the statement that we are not going to be passive. We're going to go after this. And all of the rest of it is just a bunch of techniques. It's like, you know, some countries are stronger at one technique than at another technique. And so they use that. Some places do more testing. Others do more restrictions. Some people do more um, 
you know, uh, boundaries, internal boundaries, you know, boundaries of villages as well as boundaries of cities. Um, all, all of that is about technique. Um, and, and executing on technique matters, but it's the same. And the other strategy is the strategy of, oh, well, we'll just accommodate it. It'll be okay until it does. it's not okay. And then we have to put restrictions and we reduce the amount of infection. And then we, we open up because maybe it's a little bit better. And then we have to close down again. All of that has to do with accommodation, with the idea that somehow uh, we have to live with a virus instead of we can eliminate the virus. And this idea of living with the virus has just failed. The idea that the virus is not so bad, it's, it's, it's already done what it's supposed to, what it's going to do, it's, you know, whatever. And the idea that there is a trade-off between economics and fighting the virus. There's no trade-off. It's been, look at McKinsey or Boston Consulting Group or IMF reports, the people who, who really do economics and understand economics and not sort of, you know, uh, naive um, uh, thinking. They know that the way to stop this outbreak and to get back to good, sound economic activity is to switch, to switch from the trade-off idea to the get rid of it now and then open up so that we can open up normally. That's the most important uh, shift. Take the strong action, take the economic hit, get it done with, and then go back to normal. Normal where you're celebrating parties and going to sports events and, and um, you know, I mean, all of the things that we want to do, including, you know, economic activity and making sure that companies are able to, to, uh, to meet their payroll and, and so on. If you take the strong action, it only takes a few weeks and then you're opening up normally. Vice President Biden, now President-elect Biden, said that same thing. We're learning to die with the virus. We're not living with the virus. We're dying with the virus. And I really concur with your sentiment and your advocacy of strong action. My only and final question for you is, um, since it's not clear that the Biden administration will take the strong actions uh, especially given the kind of allure of vaccinations and vaccines. Uh, what would you say to impress upon Biden and his administration how and why we need, um, like you're describing, a month-long or two, three-week um, campaign that is, in your words, all out? So to be fair, it's not two, three weeks. It's probably four to six weeks, like I said, but... The main thing is that we don't get to choose the action and the consequences separately. The actions that we choose, this is where the science has to come in. Tell us what the consequences of those actions are. And if we want to be successful at, at stopping the virus, um, at shutting down the virus, as President Biden has said, we have to choose the action that will make that happen. And there is not a lot of choices that are available. And again, the vaccine is a six to 12 months out. 
and three, over 3,000 deaths per day is not the way for us to keep going uh, with what's happening and to be considered to be successful. So we have to just make the choice, even if it's a hard choice, even if it's, you know, not the first thing that people want to do. Surely I understand. But the vast majority of people and the opportunity that we have to do this together for the people that we love, for the, for the shared opportunity to go back to the normal existence that we want. That's what this is about. And, and just to say it one more time, there are things that we can choose to do, but the consequences of our choices are built in to the world. The, the science helps us to understand the world, but it is the world that will determine the consequences. Yanir Baryam, thank you so much for your insight today. Thank you.